0: You're listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. What up? Hey. That was, was that a throwback?
1: No. No, it wasn't. That's a new that one. That was
0: from some kind of commercial, though, wasn't it? Or it was something similar. It's, what's up? I mean, we that said line? that in the 90s. The 90s. But it came from a commercial. Oh, did I it? think, right?
1: Well, my life is a sham.
0: We need to check our facts. <laughs> If we were a real podcast, we'd, we'd, we'd have hire, someone. We would hire a fax checker for all yeah. these weird things. They'd be over in a booth somewhere, and I'd be like, hey, Tony, check that for Tony. us. Tony. And he'd have a little mic off to the side that was barely audible. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? I
1: know exactly that, what you're talking about. It's a
0: visceral feeling.
1: I watch a couple of live shows, and there's like the person in the booth figure in those shows. You know what I mean? So I guess Zach could be our
0: person in that the booth feels, figure. That, but feels, he's, that
1: feels like a demotion, yeah, considering yeah. what he masterminds to make that us actually sound good. Is true.
0: <laughs> Y'all ever notice how we don't stumble over our words on this podcast? We That's actually, not real life. <laughs> we
1: do. Isn't that incredible? I'm giving
0: away trade secrets. <laughs> C- cut! <laughs> <laughs> anyway. We're back with another episode of the Creative Commentary, and we're switching it up a little bit. Mm -hmm. We finished the Pentateuch. We We are done with that. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We made it. We're through it. So we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew. Mm Mm-hmm. We're switching up entirely. We're not just chronologically switching it up. We're moving to a whole New Testament. Mm -hmm. You see how that works on a number of levels? We're moving to a whole New Testament. It's a book that's in the New Testament, and we're moving Uh, out of the Old Testament into a literal New Testament, which Mm -hmm. is, of course, why it's called the Mm -hmm. New Testament. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was a very niche. Yeah, it was niche, but— Phrase. I'm not even going to call that a joke. (laughs) That was just a niche thing that oh. only I care about, probably. I,
1: I, it even took me a second, I'll be honest. That's why I should just stick with other things.
0: No, you gotta, you gotta add the content. <laughs> so, we are going to be in Matthew. Mm-hmm. Just as a quick primer, here's how the Gospels work. There are four of them, of course. If That's you're familiar good. with Scripture, you know that there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's almost like a little Pentateuch of itself for the mm-hmm. New Testament, minus... Well, actually, no. You could throw in the Book of Acts,
1: yeah, Holy that's very true.
0: And that's like its own little New Testament Pentateuch. I am just now realizing this as we're recording. <laughs> I'm sure someone way smarter has made that connection like I thousands mean, of years ago. But I've never
1: heard role. this, but that's not saying a lot.
0: That's crazy. Anyway, acts aside, you have the four Gospels, mm-hmm. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each of those are focused on the life of Jesus, his words, his teachings, his works. His death, his resurrection. Right Now, each of those gospels brings something different to the table when it comes to the life of Jesus. So I think that sometimes actually throws people for a loop because we come from a Western civilization that expects reporting, for instance, to be more or less very chronological, yeah. very orderly, and more or less just try to represent the facts. The Gospels were certainly interested with representing the facts. However, they did not write in the strictly chronological biographical style that we are probably most familiar with. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar in that they tell a lot of the same stories. They're the synoptic Gospels Mm -hmm. is what they're called. But even those three present the stories in different ways. That's so we're going to get yeah. yeah, so we're going to get into how Matthew presents the story, but like for instance when we get to Luke, you'll see how Luke is very focused on the events leading up to the birth of Jesus and his birth and parts of his boyhood that we know nothing else of except for Luke. But then it's focused broadly on the movements of Jesus in Galilee, his ministry in Galilee, and then going to Jerusalem Mm. and setting his face like a flint. It's kind of divided up into those geographical movements. Mark is very interested in the action and what Jesus is about as far as his healings and his uh, kind of – it's very quick-paced. It's kind of like the action film of the Gospels, more or less. I guess I could describe it that way. And John is kind of in his own category. Oh, it really is. He is recording events that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are not recording. Yeah. And there's a little bit of crossover, but he's focusing a lot on Jesus's final hours. A whole Mm -hmm. section of the book is about his final hours. All that was to say, the Gospels are all truthful, but they approach the life of Christ. Differently. Mm -hmm. Matthew, which is the book that we are in, particularly develops his book in, I would say, three broad kind of themes. He wants his readers to see that Jesus is the Messiah. In other words, he's the long awaited kingly deliverer from the line of David, and he Mm -hmm. goes to great pains to show that. He also wants us to see that Jesus is an authoritative teacher following in the likeness of Moses, except that he's greater, of course. And he wants us to see that Jesus is Emmanuel. Hmm. That is that he is God with us, that Jesus is not just another mere human being or prophet or deliverer sent by God, but that he is, again, as the creeds say, very God of very God come to (laughs) be with us. You can actually see some of these themes play out Right within the first few chapters, the genealogies are yeah. right there at the beginning, mm-hmm. which is something
1: that enthralling. I would say
0: <laughs> it's, it's it's like that scene in The Last Jedi where
1: oh, you have to. You all know what we're yeah, talking about here. I know forward. I
0: had to bring it here, but you know the scene where uh, it's just like
1: yeah.
0: Luke is on the planet and all of the. Sacred texts burn up and he's like, the sacred texts and Yoda's like, read them did you it.
1: or something <laughs> <laughs> and that is actually you know mm-hmm. like I don't know how good that'll sound on the listen back, but <laughs> in this moment that's, that's pretty nice not bad. Anyway,
0: point being I was right. on a
1: different I was on a different plane altogether. I'm oh, okay. thinking like, oh, we're on the casino plane. I gotta fast forward because it has oh. absolutely no relevance to the plot. Bye. That is also true. Also fair. But you uh, pulled out something like way more nuanced. Thank yeah, you. There for- you go. Hey, you know, we're all in
0: this together. But the point being, yeah, genealogies. That's the part where we're yeah. likely to skip over. Right. However right, right. Matthew goes to great pains to show us how in those genealogies, Jesus is linked to David, is linked to Abraham. So he's linking all these promises together, generations of promises. And also, fun fact, you look at the genealogies and you see all the messed up people that read it. And uh, Jesus descended from these Mm -hmm. families, which kind of shows us in a neat sort of way, not only the family that Jesus is from, but the kind of families that he comes for and that he comes to hmm. deliver, mm-hmm. which is kind of a neat angle. But It's heartening. Yeah. So Matthew explores that within the first chapter. By the end of the nativity story, within the first couple chapters of Matthew, we see several Old Testament prophecies fulfilled that indicate that Jesus is Emmanuel. In fact, he explicitly references those Old Testament prophecies. Yeah, just so you don't miss it. Yeah, just to make sure he's not like leaving that to your yeah. deductive Imagination. Man, thank goodness, though. Which is something that John probably would have done. He probably would have been like, you should know this and you go figure it out. Yeah. You know, my illusions. Matthew's like, and thus was fulfilled what was written by the prophet Isaiah. <laughs> and then he quotes it. Yeah. Um, so you see that happening. I think he actually explicitly references Isaiah 60, Micah 5, and Isaiah 7. Oh, three wow. separate prophecies within the same chapter, if I'm remembering that correctly. But he does that to show us that Jesus is God with us. That's his whole purpose and showing us those things. And we also see early on in the book how Jesus is the greater authoritative teacher like Moses. In fact, the parallels are kind of stunning when you look at this. So, of course, Moses is the leader of Israel in the book of Exodus that we read about. He leads the people out of Egypt. By the end of the Nativity, Jesus has come out of Egypt. He had to flee to Egypt to escape Herod, yeah. so he's come out of Egypt. Moses leads the Israelites through the waters. Jesus passes through the waters of baptism. Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted. The Israelites spend 40 years in the wilderness. And then, of course the great climax of, maybe climax isn't quite the right term, but one of the penultimate moments of Moses' life is going up to Mount Sinai and delivering the law of God to the people. Well, where does Jesus deliver the first great sermon recorded in Matthew?
1: On the mount, they say.
0: The sermon on the mount. So all these neat parallels. Uh, Now, Matthew doesn't explicitly draw those out in the way that he draws out some of those prophecies, Mm -hmm. but they're all very much, if you're familiar with the flow of the Old Testament story, uh, particularly Exodus, those become pretty apparent. And all that was to show us how Jesus is the greater authoritative teacher like Moses. And as the book moves broadly along, here's what you want to keep in mind. Matthew wants us to see how Jesus is bringing God's kingdom to bear, in particular through those roles, how he's God with us, how he's the king, the Messiah from David's line, and mm-hmm. how he's the authoritative teacher, and how all of those roles converge on Jesus and how he brings the kingdom of God to bear on earth through them. Because as you read the Old Testament, you see, for instance, this is a common theme that you see developed in the Old Testament. You have a king, you have a high priest, and you have the prophets. Mm-hmm. They kind of live in separate spheres. So you get a little mingling between them, like King David had a little bit of the prophetic in him because yeah. he was writing the Psalms. But they kind of keep those offices very, offices very separate. Jesus occupies all three of those offices. And he thus perfectly begins to bring the kingdom of God to bear in the lives of his people, which of course doesn't end up playing out the way that his people expect. Exactly. Um, In fact, another thing you'll want to keep an eye out as you're reading Matthew in broad strokes is the kind of people who respond to Jesus. Hmm. You'll, I'm going to give it away, but Please do. You know, these are all tips to help you read through Matthew and understand it from a biblical theological point of view. The kind of people who respond positively to Jesus throughout Matthew, you'll notice are the downcast, the Mm -hmm. outcast, the forgotten, and the people who feel like, I don't necessarily maybe belong. Mm -hmm. And uh, the people who are willing to acknowledge that. They fall short and that they're uh, sinners outright and they don't try to keep an illusion of pride about them. Mm -hmm. Whereas those who think they've got it all together, they have God figured out, they have the kingdom figured out and they know everything about it.
1: They think there's no need.
0: Exactly. They're the kind of people who look at Jesus and say he's not. Exactly. He's a blasphemer and uh, we're going to kill him. Even though Jesus is clearly bringing healing and a teaching the likes of which no one has ever heard before. (laughs) All these (laughs) great... Great things are happening in the Gospel of Matthew. <laughs> and they're and, like, bet. <laughs> they're like, but this wasn't what we were expecting. So you want to keep an eye out for that. And also, as we've kind of mentioned, pay attention to those Old Testament quotations and allusions. Because you'll see those all over the place, and you'll want to, if you're wanting to get into the gospel more in depth, you might even want to go back and actually read those quotations and the allusions Mm. in their context. So, for instance, Passover, Mm -hmm. major feast in the Israelite tradition. Jesus shares the Last Supper during Passover— Are those links accidental? Doubt it. I think not indeed. (laughs) So having a rich understanding of how those Old Testament quotes and allusions interface in Matthew's thinking and in his writing Mm -hmm. is going to enrich your understanding of the story. You can understand what's going on if you just read them as Matthew presents them. But I mean,
1: it even sounds like he could have been more explicit about these connections than he chose not to be. Mm -hmm. I think it's nice that he throws us a bit of a bone by saying, and here are the references I'm citing. Yes. (laughs) But also, like as you're drawing... Out, He doesn't put it all out there. He doesn't spoon feed you these smaller connections, maybe the more novel connections. Mm -hmm. I definitely did not know about all of these things myself.
0: Yeah. That is encouraging to me on a separate level because I think, as we've discussed, I think even a few times on this particular series of the podcast, Mm -hmm. there can be a tendency within what you would call quote unquote Christian art to spoon feed you certain ideas, concepts truths, which there is a place to say, here's what I'm saying right. in explicit terms. And then there's a place to let ideas kind of seep into your imagination mm-hmm. and let you
1: draw As Paul Schrader even reiterated in that famous quote of his, I will quote it to you, but I don't remember what the word... <laughs> But the idea that you can't force someone down this road, especially with content such as this. When I say this, I mean especially in the art world when you dabble with spiritual content. Right. Uh, and when your narrative's kind of intertwined with that. I think it would have been better if I just looked up the quote. But <laughs> instead, here we are. And it's, Where is
0: our Tony in his booth? Where are you, quote? Tony? Spoofiness. If, well,
1: I mean, in, in, in lieu of that, I think it's in the first Reformed article. Yeah, you could just look it up right. and give us some one click.
0: Yes, there you go. Read that article. <laughs> it was a review of First Reform. <laughs> so you have that. And then the final tying piece thematically in Matthew's gospel is the Great Commission. He ends on that. And thematically, what Matthew is reinforcing is that even though the kingdom of God has not come in the ways that many people expected... <laughs> The kingdom has come. Mm-hmm. Jesus has brought the kingdom of heaven in some measure onto earth. And it is now the responsibility of his followers to continue the work of expanding that kingdom, not through the sword, but through mm-hmm. the teaching and the word. So he ends with a great commission and charges all believers to do that. So those are the kind of broad strokes and themes to keep in mind as you're reading through Matthew. It's very much what you might call a kingdom of book. It's about how Jesus is the king. And as a king, he comes with an authoritative teaching and he is God with us. And he ties all this together to bring about the kingdom of God to bear on earth. And then one day he will come back and establish it fully. So that's Matthew. Mm. And as we were thinking through the pop culture relationships with With Matthew and these themes, you made some very interesting observations that I think I'd like to just have you kind of draw out for us here and we'll dialogue around that.
1: Well, something I noticed when we were first talking about Matthew, there are certain things that really stand out to me, like the connections he draws through the generations. You have this huge lineage that he is clearly important to him. Yes. Um, otherwise, why would you put in that right. much research? <laughs> but also, you know, the more fantastical idea of like this fabled prophecy and this chosen one, he's come to fulfill it. Of course, yes. the Israelites have... Some very specific ideas of how that should pan out. Right. Surprise. (laughs) But that idea of a chosen one figure is very familiar to the entertainment world. Yeah. In fact, over-familiar in some Mm. ways to the point that I think it's become a bit tired. It's become a crutch or a trope in the entertainment that we're producing. Yeah. At least by this point in 2019. (laughs) Who knows what's in store?
0: Looking at you, script writers. Stop (laughs) using this trope.
1: Yeah, but I've even heard in different spheres that people kind of don't necessarily want that Mm -hmm. as much as they want it. But that to say, I'm not like dissing the storytelling mechanic because some of the biggest franchises we have ever seen, probably that you and I will ever see in our lifetimes, Yeah. Depend on this, and they frankly they do it well. Yeah, I'm for sure. you know so I'm not here to like <laughs> say this it. is
0: terrible and Matthew was terrible and Jesus, <laughs> <Exactly. is laughs>
1: but when you pull this into fiction, we actually have seen some really strong examples. I mean, I think the first thing that ever came to my mind, of course, was Star Wars because oh, they yes. literally used the term "chosen one." Yeah,
0: how much clearer could you get, George Lucas?
1: <laughs> Come on, man! And, I mean, if you kind of forget the prophecy angle and just look solely at this connection through generations one of the first things i thought of was the lord of the rings i mean the classic the other big franchise that's very important to our individual childhoods yes <laughs> but you have frodo who is responsible for at least he ta- he actually takes responsibility for setting matters right that uh, his uncle was involved in again you have this yeah. connection through generations where mm-hmm. an inordinate amount of importance is placed on the shoulders of one person right yeah. and then to really divide our audience harry potter does this <laughs> as well so i mean i haven't read the books because That's a lot of pages. (laughs) But even in the films, you see, like, there's a significant importance placed on this whole, like, destined from birth angle that they take. Is
0: that how they approach his character? Because I've not seen or read. Not because I don't want to, but (laughs) I just haven't
1: yet. It's been a long time, but I I did my own (laughs) (laughs) fact-checking. Thank you, Matthew. But, I mean, all of the... I think for each of these, it's a really gross oversimplification, but we can see the fact that each of these hugely successful franchises have used the chosen one archetype, Uh, and it's very important, and they do so successfully. Yeah. But- Mm, mm, There it comes. Yeah. Like I kind of alluded to, there's kind of this push- Away from that storytelling mechanic, where you have the the chosen one situation, and mm-hmm. and one of the more recent examples that kind of deconstructs this idea is Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Right. Ryan Gosling, <laughs> true, bless him. <laughs> Harrison Forties, uh, but some of you might hear that and only think of Harrison Ford's original film. It's great, great film. That's not what I'm talking about though, because so recently they made this kind of continuation of the story where it almost lures you into the belief that they're about to tell a Chosen One story. In fact, in my notes, I've abbreviated it to CO story because I've said it so many times. (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) But, you know, it's important, I think, for the story to draw you in that you're led to believe that maybe, maybe he's more important than we think Mm -hmm. until they completely take a left turn and decide to sidestep that notion. And you realize it's more of an anti CEO story, an mm-hmm. anti-chosen one story. Yeah, but I think there's a unique interest in that. It's the idea that anyone could fill those shoes. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it, it's used to make the story accessible to us. Yeah, which obviously the scripture is not trying to do. And <laughs> right. I think the exact opposite is important. That the notion that anyone could fill those shoes is absurd. It's quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. But it takes a very weird flavor when you place that into our fiction and our entertainment.
0: Yeah. And even as you were saying all that, it put me in mind of this whole idea that in scripture, there clearly is, (laughs) to use that term, a chosen one. Mm -hmm. And it's Jesus. And that's it, bar none. And in our own storytelling, as you've pointed out, we use this mechanic. And some franchises have used it to great effect. But I think one of the—I even hesitate to use the term negative side effects of that. Yeah. But one of the effects of that is there's perhaps this subconscious idea laying underneath the substrata of American thinking that everyone is a chosen one mm-hmm. in some way. And in one sense, perhaps, in, in that everyone has a part to play in the grand story of sure. life, and particularly as Christians— everyone has a part to play in the story of redemption which is amazing but our role in that is we're not the chosen one
1: right
0: so it is like this we're the part extras. yeah and you do have a part to play but again it's not the chosen you're not mm-hmm. the chosen one you're not the um,
1: protagonist yeah, of the film yeah
0: um, and that doesn't mean that you are any less right valuable and in fact i even think of blade runner 2049 yeah. which is a prime example of that i think like wow that's beautiful because it does kind of yeah throw that trope for a twist but you love Those characters. Yeah,
1: I think it almost kind of honors the position of the non-chosen one, Mm -hmm. of the ordinary, of the anyone.
0: Yeah. And another thing that came to mind, just as you were talking about this, as far as how this is overused and maybe is wearing thin on people, Mm -hmm. even though it has... Clearly made billions. Yeah. And it even has... True and good origins. Clearly, yes. But it reminds me, you familiar with the storytelling trope that's referred to as deo Makana? machina? hmm Yeah. So God from the machine is what that translates into. And it comes from back in the days of the Greek playwrights. I think it was the Greek playwrights. Really? Somewhere in that era. But what would happen was they would write these ridiculous plays <laughs> and put their characters in absurd situations. And they yeah. couldn't find a way... To tie the knots, and they could not find a way to resolve the storylines and get their characters out of these situations, so they would just have the gods, literally these people that were dressed as, you know, their (laughs) mythological gods (laughs) descend on wires from the machine. That's where the term came from, God from the machine. The God would come down and somehow in a magic snap of the fingers, everything (laughs) would be right. And it became this trope, Deo Ec Machina, God from the machine.
1: I knew it was sort of like the get out of drama free card, (laughs) but I didn't know that's where it came from. Yeah.
0: And even saying that there are moments in scripture, again, to highlight this point, there are moments in scripture where God suddenly appears on the scene and he intervenes and everything is all right. I think of instances, I'm getting out of the Gospel of Matthew now, but I'm trying to illustrate the principle. Um, You have instances like where Elijah or Elisha, one of those two prophets is in a town and his servant is scared because these armies are about to come get them. Mm -hmm. And the prophet prays, oh, open his eyes, Lord, to see. And there's this army of angels encamped around and they strike these guys blind and boom, suddenly everything is okay. Yeah. (laughs) That's scriptural. That is God intervening. Mm-hmm. That does not give us license to just write our stories in such a way that we're... Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Is that well, yeah sense? I
1: think what's interesting and maybe peculiar is that we often try to use these episodes to draw the parallels yes. and the connections. And in a way, we're almost doing the opposite. I mm-hmm. think when I was th- kind of thinking through how we have used the chosen one scheme and then kind of unused it... The idea of like whether or not it's good, which, I mean, I feel like that's a stupid question that I'm leading you into purposefully with a separate (laughs) answer in mind because we're talking about art. Yeah. And then to try to say, is that good or not? Mm -hmm. But that's what I'm asking, just for the sake of (laughs) generating conversation.
0: (laughs) You know, I think like anything, Mm -hmm. you can oversaturate yourself Mm -hmm. with ideas, concepts, and you kind of have to take a step back and right. see the forest for the trees, all those sorts of things. And I think you were even pointing out earlier how stepping away yeah. from the chosen one trope has kind of provided ground to see, okay, well, you may not be the chosen one, but the ordinary character mm-hmm. is important, Yeah. right?
1: Yeah, that's what I think um, too. And I led you into that.
0: Well, I mean, that's it's, it's good content, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, it's true, and I, I agree with that. And I think that's... In a lot of ways, that is helpful to the believer. Because once again, oh, even yeah. you, you're reading the gospel of Matthew, Jesus is the chosen one. You are not, does not mean, again, that you are not important, valuable, that you don't have a part to play in the story today. That's the whole thing with the Great Commission, is he's saying, Hey, I'm the king. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, not you. Yeah. However, I'm commissioning you with that authority, mm. under my authority to go play a part in this expansion of the kingdom, of this bringing the kingdom to Earth. And that gives an infinite amount of dignity to the quote-unquote ordinary. That's a good way to put it. I think it is all dependent on just that lens that you're looking
1: at it through. That's true. I don't know if stories like The Lord of the Rings or Star Wars, if we were working on a clean slate, I don't know if they'd work today. Mm -hmm. the way they worked when they were first crafted when Lord of the Rings was first written or George Lucas first decided to make this corny sci-fi film Mm -hmm.
0: yeah I wonder if part of that is because so many people have tried to imitate it yeah too and fallen short of that glorious idea, and there's sure. a reason I keep going back to Lord of the Rings.
1: Of yeah, Star Wars that's also true. Later, you know, because I definitely I don't want this to be like let's dump on these <laughs> these <laughs> franchises that I personally love. Yeah, because I do. But yeah, I've definitely seen more of a cultural push towards placing the focus on a character who is not divinely chosen in the stars, and and is just kind of. Yeah. In this situation, by happenstance, as mm-hmm. anyone would find themselves. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's good content. And I think that about wraps us up on this episode
0: of the mm-hmm. Creative Commentary. We're back at it in the Gospel of Matthew. Thank you, as always, for listening. And if you have questions or insights and you want to just engage us in conversation or any, uh, any topics you want to send our way,
1: mm-hmm. please do. You can email us. Where, Ethan? Uh, podcast. Singular. At horizonschurch.net.
0: Yeah. Or if you uh, want to engage with us on social media, Facebook, Instagram. We're there. Or if you happen to find us at uh, your local coffee shop, wherever <laughs> we happen to be, you know, me and Ethan or whoever's sitting there, I'd be like, hey, what are you doing? You know? <laughs> that I does not know. apply to me. Yeah, that's it. Ethan, Ethan lives in in the middle of nowhere basically you will will not you'll not find (laughs) me
1: unless it's like right after the actual live recording of this podcast you probably will find me in a coffee shop
0: yeah thank you as always for listening and we will catch y'all next time